listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Hi, this is Stephen Kelly Martin and our dog Sam. Uh, we really do miss seeing uh, everybody at Faith in person and hope that we are together face-to-face in the not-too-distant future. Uh, today's scripture reading is Micah 7 verses 18 to 20. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our inequities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on the oath to our ancestors in the days long ago. This is God's word. I was in trouble, uh, in a mess that I had created for myself, and uh, I was hopeless. Uh, A few weeks ago, I shared a story of a time when I was in grad school and uh, had a class that was, a lot of it was, reading and discussion, but then the bulk of the grade was going to be a final project that we were supposed to work on. Uh, But the instructions were kind of unclear. Uh, The professor really didn't help us understand what we were supposed to be doing. Uh, And as the semester wore on, um, I still had no idea what to do. I think at one point I even woke up one morning and checked my computer to see if uh, maybe God had kind of miraculously written a paper for me, but that didn't happen. So I just didn't do the project. I didn't write the paper. I was guilty and totally hopeless. And yet I ended up getting a good grade in the class anyway. In fact, I got the same grade as the people who did the project. And some of you were mad at me about that a couple weeks ago, and some of you are still mad at me. Understandable, fair enough. Uh, But be mad for the right reason. See, the real injustice wasn't that I got a grade I didn't deserve. The real problem, the real issue, is that I was the kind of person who was willing to just not do what I was supposed to do. I I got the same grade as everyone else in the class who did the project, so I didn't, like, actively cheat. I kind of passively cheated. I got credit for work that I hadn't actually done. And I was willing to get a good grade on my transcript and take credit for it when I hadn't really earned it. I was willing to cut corners to get ahead. Maybe some of you can relate, maybe even some of you who are angry with me. Because there may have been times in your life where you were willing to take more credit than you deserved for something. Maybe there were times in your life when you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And maybe there were times when you were glad to get away with something that you know you shouldn't have gotten away with. See, I created a problem for myself, and I had no hope, and then I experienced a kind of a rescue because of the professor's kindness. But the professor's kindness did not change me. It didn't deal with the real problem and what was really wrong with me. And 
I don't know that getting the grade I deserved would have changed me either. What I really needed wasn't hope for my transcript, but hope for transformation. I, I needed a hope and a help that would actually change me. Where, where is the hope for that? Where is the hope for becoming the kind of person I ought to be on the inside? Because they don't just stay on the inside, right? I mean, when we have anger and vengeance and bitterness and unforgiveness and dishonesty, it always kind of leaks out in some way. And we end up creating a society that's full of people who lie and cheat and take advantage and look out only for their own interests. That's the kind of world Micah is picturing that he lives in. That's the world we live in, isn't it? Where's the hope for that? Now, Pastor Joey did a great job last week leading us through the first part of Micah chapter 7, this lament that Micah expresses. And remember, we discovered lament is an expression of sorrow with a backbone of hope to it. Lament starts with complaint, and it goes through prayers for help and leads ultimately to hope as we refocus on God's character and God's promises. That's where hope is. Micah has reminded us in this book what God requires, what God asks of us, that we are made to reflect what God is like in justice and mercy and humility. But we don't do that. And yet we have hope. We have hope because the Lord, because Yahweh delights in steadfast love. That's the key idea for today. Kids, if you're following along in your books or you're writing notes here or at home, what Micah wants us to understand is that steadfast love strengthens our hope. That God's love strengthens our hope. Kids, we could, we could put it this way. Steadfast means faithful. It means trustworthy. We have hope because God is faithful. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Micah chapter 7 in your Bibles or pull it up on your app or whatever you use to read God's Word. It's near the end of the Old Testament. And we're looking at just the last three verses today as we finish out this look at the book of Micah. Now, this phrase, steadfast love, is maybe not one you've heard a lot through this series, but it, it bookends this passage in verse 18 and verse 20 and we've heard the concept before, back in chapter 6, when Micah asked this question, what does God require? Mercy is how that word is translated there. It's the Hebrew word chesed that we've talked about before. It can also be read as loving kindness or covenant loyalty. It's the way God relates to his people. And Micah, in this passage, is going to picture it as God's pardon God's pity combined with his power, and God's promise-keeping. That's what we're going to look at today. So let's jump into Micah chapter 7, starting in verse 18. God's pardon is his steadfast love that strengthens our hope. God's steadfast love is seen in his pardon that strengthens our hope. Did you see that? Did you hear that in verse 18? Who is a God like you, Micah says, who pardons iniquity and passes over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? Now, iniquity, we need, we need some definitions here. Iniquity means like being twisted or perverse. 
like a, a tree that's grown the wrong way, or you go to the lumber yard and, and you pick out some two-by-fours to build a wall, and they're all banana-shaped. Or uh, it's like a sign that's gotten blown over in a storm, and it's, it's now pointing in the wrong direction. There, there's something inside of us that, that's twisted and wrong, and, and maybe we even want to do something good, but we end up doing the opposite instead. And Micah says God pardons our iniquity. It's a word that means to lift up, to bear, to carry away. It's a word that we heard back in the end of chapter 6 where God says Judah is going to bear or carry the shame of their sin. But now God promises that his people will not bear their iniquity. He will actually bear it. The sinless God who has nothing wrong with him will actually be the one to take on the, the twistedness, the wrongness of his people. And he says, I will pass over their transgression. Transgression is, is going beyond a boundary. It's trespassing where God puts up a no trespassing sign. Kind of like those pictures we like to post on uh, the internet of you know, finding the sign that says, do not go beyond this point, and we go beyond the point and take a picture of us, you know, like, pointing at the sign and smiling, right? That's transgression. God says, don't go there, and there's just something in us that says, oh, I definitely want to go there. But God says, I will pass over that as though they have never taken place. I will put them behind, behind me and not look at them. And Micah wants us to notice some things here, the uniqueness of God's pardon. He, he's holy and just. He's righteous. We need a God. We want a God who does what is right, a God who must judge and punish sin, but he pardons. He passes over it. In the Old Testament, this was pictured through all those animal sacrifices. Uh, the, the sins of the people were placed on a spotless substitute who would bear those sins instead of the people bearing themselves so that God can be just and the one who justifies us, who declares us not guilty. See, a king, a, a judge, maybe even a, a parent, we can't be both merciful and just at the same time. We're, we're either going to demand justice or we're going to show mercy. Only God can do both of those at the same time the uniqueness of this pardon. See the eagerness of God's pardon. He delights, he delights to show mercy, to show steadfast love. Have you ever known someone who's not so eager to forgive? Maybe you've done something wrong. You, you hurt them, you offended them, maybe you just annoyed them. And it's obvious that forgiving you is not easy. You can tell from their body language, from from rolling their eyes or, you know, their exasperation. And, and even if they do forgive you, they don't want you to forget it. You, you know you're going to hear about it again some other time. God judges sin, but he delights to show mercy. He does not delight in judgment. He delights in forgiveness and kindness. He is waiting. He is willing. He wants to pour out loving kindness and mercy. And see the completeness of that pardon. All the stuff that's wrong inside of us and all the way it gets worked out in iniquity and transgression. 
all the mess-ups, all the mistakes, all the times when we said to God, I don't care what you want, I'm going to go do what I want. God passes over it. God pardons. You know, sometimes maybe we can look at this and, and say, well, you know, if that's what God is like, why doesn't he just pardon everyone? The, the real question is, why does God pardon anyone? This should lead us to amazement and wonder and enthusiasm and gratitude for who God is, that he would see and know the worst about us, and he would be delighted to forgive us. Let's be amazed that God forgives at all, that God is a pardoning God, that he loves mercy. God's pardon strengthens our hope. So don't hesitate to come to him. But then see how God's pity and power strengthen our hope. That's the next section. God's pity and power join together in kind of an unusual way. He does not retain his anger forever, you see in verse 18. Because he delights in steadfast love, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You ever been in a situation where you saw someone who was hurting? Maybe it was a friend, maybe it was one of your kids, somebody you, you cared about, maybe, maybe it was one of those uh, sad animals on the, the commercials that they run on TV, you know, with the, the poor dog with the sad eyes, and don't you care, and won't you be a rescue angel and save this animal? And, and you say, oh, I want to adopt all the puppies and kitties. But you don't have the power to do anything about it. You're moved with compassion, but you don't have the power to solve the problem. Your child is hurting it, and you would take their place if you could, but you can't. This, this situation is broken and messed up, and you don't have the authority to fix it or change it. Other times, you've had the power, you've had the ability to fix something, but it wasn't combined with compassion. And, and there have been times where we've kind of said, you know, well, go warm and be filled. Good luck. God bless you. I hope that works out for you. I hope you get it straightened out. Not my problem. God is both pitying and powerful at the same time. He sees our need. He's able to do something about it, and he actually does it. Look at how Micah puts those together. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He does get angry at his covenant people, just like a father or a mother sometimes gets angry at children who disobey. Now, unlike our anger, God's is always righteous and just and appropriate. But he doesn't stay angry. He may bring consequences, he may bring pain for our disobedience, but he looks at us with compassion and he brings relief. Because see the power that God exercises here with that compassion. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Okay, maybe confession time here. When I was a kid, sometimes after a big rainstorm, I would go out and find the earthworms that, that washed up, and occasionally I might squish them. And, and then they'd go down the storm drain, right? Never to be seen again. That's a, maybe a picture of what Micah is presenting here. God 
treads our iniquities underfoot. He crushes them. He obliterates them in a good way. It's not just forgiveness, but it as, as if the sin never even happened. It's gone. And, and he frees his people, not just from the penalty of our sins, but from the power of those sins. That's the, the language here. He, he breaks the power of that sin and casts those offenses into the depths of the sea, never to be remembered or held against us. God doesn't just close his eyes and pretend it never happened. God is just and holy, and he does this because if our sins can be placed on a substitute and someone else takes them away, then God is both just and merciful. They are gone for good. We were boating with Amelia's family, my wife's family in Florida, out in the Gulf, and uh, we weren't going that fast, but fast enough for my father-in-law's fishing cap to fly off his head into the Gulf of Mexico. And apparently he liked this hat a lot because he suddenly jumped up. He said, wait, turn the boat around. We got to go back and get my cap. Like said, Tom, we're, it's in the ocean. What are you talking about? But, you know, I, it's his boat. So I, you know, of course I turn it around and we go back and lo and behold, there is his hat floating on the surface of the Gulf of Mexico. And, and we were able to draw it back out. You know, sometimes we can be like that with our sins or with the sins of other people. We may pull things up that God has buried, that God has atoned for, that God has passed over to maybe wallow in them, to beat ourselves up for, to beat up other people for. The Dutch believer Corey Ten Boom wrote this, God casts our sins into the depths of the sea and he puts up a sign that says, no fishing. Gone forever, not to be brought up again. Ask God to help you stop fishing for sins that have been forgiven because it's God's pity, his compassion on us and his power to wipe them out that strengthens our hope. And then finally, it's God's promise-keeping that strengthens our hope. God's promise-keeping strengthens our hope. Did you see that in verse 20? You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love, covenant loyalty, loving kindness to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers. Now, what is this about? Way back in the beginning of the story, God enters into a relationship with Abraham and he guarantees it with this promise, I will be your God and you will be my people. And through you, through your seed, through your offspring, all nations of the world will be blessed. God's promise to Abraham and to the people that would come after him is that everyone who's connected to that promise will be in the same relationship with God. They will know his forgiveness. They will know his faithfulness and his goodness. To have God as your God, to be in a relationship with Him based on nothing that you could do, but based on His promise. Oh, what hope, what confidence that gives. That, that it, it wouldn't be about my performance, my earning it, my keeping it. But did you notice that this promise is not for everyone in the world? It's available to everyone but look who experiences this. 
pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. His inheritance is his people. God's inheritance is his people that he's called by faith. And in Micah's day, that was these faithful people in the land that were going to go into exile, and then God's going to bring them back and restore them. That was the remnant of God's inheritance. And the guarantee of that promise, again, was how those sins were placed not on the people, but on the substitute for them, on the animals. But that's not God's hope of promise-keeping. The promise is for you. If you are in Christ by faith, listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. So those who have faith are Abraham's children. Just as God promised to Abraham, all the nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham. See, long after Micah's day, God sent his own son, Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, to be, as the Bible says, the the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is the promised seed through whom the nations would be blessed, through whom we are blessed. We are included in that remnant of his inheritance when we believe just like Abraham did, when we believe in Christ. God shows faithfulness to Abraham. And why does that matter? One commentator puts it this way. At this point, a reader or some of you listening to me or or watching online might complain, who cares about Jacob and Abraham? What difference does it make, these old guys from long ago and far away? Why should I care if God is loyal to them? Answer, because God didn't start working when you came on the scene. God is faithful to the promise that he made centuries ago. God has been working much longer than you've been around. And God can never go back on his promise. He has sworn on oath by his character to show steadfast love, forgiveness to everyone who is in relationship to him through faith in Christ. That image of God treading our sins underfoot is violent. And on the cross, God tread our sins out in the body of his son so that we would be the recipients of his faithful love and his forgiveness On the cross, the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus so that as we believe in Christ, we are forgiven. We are counted sinless and set free. Though I fall a thousand times, God will pick me up a thousand times plus one because he is faithful. Oh, that is good news. Good news based on God's promise-keeping, not mine. God's faithfulness, not mine. God's goodness, not mine. Am I awed? Am I amazed? Am I grateful that God forgives me? That God is faithful to me? Because God's promise-keeping is what strengthens hope. The Lord delights in steadfast love. He pardons sin. He casts our iniquity to the depths of the sea. And he doesn't just begrudgingly choose to do this like a college professor who, you know, maybe said, fine, it's, it's more trouble for me to fail you than to, than to give you a passing grade in the class. 
No, he delights, he delights to show mercy and kindness and forgiveness. And what kind of response then does that generate in us? Because what God is like to you is what he wants to reflect through you. What God is like to you is what he wants to reflect through you. So you see, sometimes I want people to see and acknowledge the one who is completely righteous and good and wise and has all the answers. I mean, me, naturally. Right? Like I, sometimes that's us, isn't it? Like that's social media. That's our political discourse. If only everyone had all the answers like I do and were smart like I do and was good as I am, everything would be great. See, when we come to know God's steadfast love, his forgiveness, his mercy, it makes us humble. It gives us hope that we can actually be just and merciful. In our cultural moment that we're in, I mean, do you notice how much we're being constantly encouraged to judge and condemn people? And if we don't judge and condemn the right people, then we get judged and condemned. But when we know the steadfast love of God, we, we know that we need loving kindness. We become the kind of people who show it to others. The kind of people who produce empathy over anger and humility over self-righteousness and kindness and, and patience. God delights in showing us mercy so that we show it to others. When we give a kind word to people that we disagree with, when we offer a bottle of cold water to a protester on the other side of the argument, who are you showing faithful love to? That kind of mercy and kindness. Because see, I can be good at holding back anger and judgment towards people who can do something for me, towards people that I already agree with. God shows loving kindness to people who are unkind, undeserving. When we love people who are kind to us, that doesn't really make us look like God. What looks like steadfast love is loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us and blessing those who curse us. And we have hope that God actually does that through us because we've known that for ourselves. We have hope and help for getting rid of the things we really need to get rid of, not people who disagree with us, but the sins and the temptations and the traps that lead us away from what God has called us to be. God actually helps us get rid of all of the twistedness and the wrongness because that kind of hope, it's, it's not just a possibility, it's not a wish, it's a reality that's guaranteed by God's pardon, God's pity, God's power, God's promise keeping. If we have a relationship with God through Christ, we know that God hears us when we pray. We know that God brings light out of the darkness that that we have a Savior who pleads our case. We have a Savior who delivers us from bondage so that we can look to the future. We can look to our own future with confidence and hope and joy. We are never hopeless with Christ. God is at work. He gives you strength to persevere. He gives us the ability to be even more than conquerors in Him. We have hope. Oh, hope in God because He is faithful. 
because he forgives. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are trustworthy. You are unchanging. You remember your promise. We are that remnant of your people saved by faith in Christ. Oh God, stir our hearts again with joy in who you are and hope. Hope that we can be more like what you are and what you are to us. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope of your work in us. Thank you that the last word in this message from Micah to us is one of your steadfast love. Oh, Father, help us to delight in that love and to reflect it more and more by your power, by the work of your Spirit in us. Help us to look and see and do what we ought to be to look like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.